visit the future. Who do you need to become? How do you need to show up? And what's going to need to be true to do that? And that can be a number that you need to hit. It can be impact. It can be scale, all sorts of different things. But who do you need to become? And based on your current strategy and trajectory, are you going to get there? Usually the answer is no. And the gap that's there is your innovation strategy gap. That's the pipe that you need to fill. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind builds employees and customers love and support. And in these times, many organizations are facing struggle or even fighting for their existence. And to overcome this, they need to drive innovation. Innovation has always been something that I'm hugely passionate and interested in. And when I read Elvin Turner's book, Be Less Zombie, I knew straight away you all out there needed to hear what he's learned with working with some of the most innovative companies and brands over the last 20 years. Elvin Turner is an award-winning innovation advisor to global corporations, government bodies, not-for-profit organizations, and startups around the world. He's also an associate professor at Serval Business School. We will take a deep dive into Elvin's 10-year field research behind this book, working with some of the leading innovators in the world. We also talk about how companies are approaching innovation. And actually, most companies are struggling with innovation and finding their big ideas. They're just optimizing the existing business model and not finding the ideas they need to create the future and their competitive advantages of tomorrow. We talk about innovation begins and ends with the right leadership and culture. It's a mindset. And great companies has a strong foundation in place to be able to ensure they have the time and the motivation to make great ideas and innovation happen. Elvin shares a number of best practices from companies across industries around the globe. And there will be a lot of practical advice on how to become more innovative in this conversation. So if you are looking to become unshakable, innovation has to be the heart of what you're doing as an organization. But before we jump into the conversation, please also sign up to our weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com. It's packed with more Maverick content and insight to help you on the journey to become unshakable. Now, please zoom out, grab notebook, your preferred drink. This episode will make you think differently about innovation. Enjoy. Today, we're going to be talking about the future and maybe also the now, actually. But uh, something that always has been on my mind is that what, what are we doing uh, in three months' time to make sure that we are here in 10 years' time? And uh, I know some of the best companies, you know, I'm a very big fan, as you know, they're good to great. I've worked for McDonald's myself. I've always seen that they have innovation at heart. And for that, I'm actually, we have a... Uh, a very uh, great guest today. We have Elvin Turner that has written a book that's called Be Less Zombie. And if you haven't written the book, uh, and this is not a plug, a shameless plug to, to to impress the guest, but you should definitely go and read it uh, because it's one of the best books I found because there's actually tools in there. And that's often when you need on a CEO level or a leadership level. Where do I start? You know, it's great with all these concepts, where to start. So with that said, um, I also know that uh, innovation sometimes becomes when we get in trouble and the pandemic had thrown trouble. And uh, the, the book starts with, before I hand over and introduce you to, to Elvin, is, uh, there, is a, there is a in the start where they discuss what innovation is. And uh, Elvin has this wonderful picture of a woman and a dog looking into an empty cupboard. And it says, mm, it looks like we need to discount our way out of this one again, Winston. And I think that's so typical that uh, the reaction we do when we have no customers. I've seen that. I've done that myself years ago where we thought we're going to make a, we're going to put offers on. And the only thing we did was kill our own business. So with that said, welcome to the uh, the podcast, Elvin. I'm so happy that you're here and we can uh, have a conversation around innovation. Yeah, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to it. Elvin, so the people that haven't heard about you uh, and the book, and uh, probably if they are LinkedIn, they probably notice you are pushing pushing the uh, the book and uh, your story around innovation. And and could you tell people a bit about well, like, what is your background, all the years you've been studying this subject, and what type of organizations you work with to to get better understanding about how you actually make innovation works in companies. Sure. So I've been working in innovation really for 25 years in, in different guises. 
Um, did my own startup, um, worked for a consultancy for over 20 years, helping large organizations figure out what comes next and how do we respond and how do you create a, an internal infrastructure, if you like, that allows innovation just to flow through the organization rather than it being an argument, which is which it is in, in most organizations, it's, it's, you know, it's a fight with today. So um, most of my, my work these days is working with, with large organizations, helping them figure out those answers and building capabilities. I also uh, teach MBA, so I teach entrepreneurship and um, innovation on some MBA programs. And again, as you say, most recently, I've written a book. And, you know, I really unexpectedly enjoyed the process of writing a book so much that I've decided I'm going to do more writing. So I've decided yesterday on my name, you're hearing it here first, decided yesterday that I'm, I am going to start my next book soon. So uh, I'm moving into the research phase of that. So yeah, so I wear, kind of wear three hats at the moment. That's too exciting. You don't know what the, the book's concept is yet? You don't have the, the catchy title yet? That there's something that's brewing on your mind? Yeah, you'll, you'll have to watch this space. It, it, it's not exactly a follow-up to Be Less Zombie, but it's zooming in on one particular aspect within the book, which is my personal most, it's, it's the area of interest that I, I have most. But um, anyway, watch this space. News, news coming soon. We will follow up and, and share with the, the audience out there. So in your book, the title says itself in a way, Be Less Zombie. Um, and I, maybe I, you, you can correct me, but there's some companies, they just fall into a slump. They just move on. And then suddenly reality hits them like, a, you know, hit with a fist in the face and they get derailed, go into the death spiral because... They maybe just operated. They have not really put in new initiatives. Or maybe they have done new initiatives, but they've more, more been projects than actually part of the overall strategies. But what does it mean? What do you mean about being less companies? Or what uh, does actually great companies do to actually be you know, good at innovation and make it part of the day-to-day -day life? Well, the, the term zombies was... It was a bit of a joke to, be, to begin with when I came up with the idea for the book. I was running a workshop for a business school and we were trying to figure out a way of framing the workshop around, well, what is it that these unicorn companies are doing that, that, that nobody else is? The companies that are worth a billion dollars or more and they're still getting started. What are they doing differently? So we had unicorns at one end and I thought, well, what, what goes at the other end? So zombie came up as a, as a, as a, a metaphor that kind of worked because it's It's an organization that is stumbling into the future. It's lurching out for its next meal, is eating whatever it can in front of it, but it's the living dead. And that, you know, it's deliberately provocative. Most organizations probably wouldn't put themselves in that category. But when you look behind the scenes to see what are the things we're measuring, really? What are the things that people are showing up every day and doing, really? What do they value? And if you play that forward, how is that going to end up? The lifespan of most organizations you know, it's it's shrinking and it's because innovation isn't sufficiently baked into the day-to-day. -day. It gets spat out far too easily in favor of the latest fire that's landing on the desk, the new priority that's happened. Um, and uh, there's no space to innovate, nor is there motivation really to, to innovate strategically. So the idea of the zombie is actually, I, I would say, The reason I called it Be Less Zombie is I think there's a bit of zombie in most organizations. Um, and it's trying to help organizations in very practical ways see what steps can we put into place that make us more likely to be showing up more profitably in the future and beyond. I guess there is still uh, in these companies, because they all say, they probably would say, yeah, we, we, we work, we, we have a strategy session and we work with strategy, you know, yearly, quarterly. And we look, we look ahead. But is the is the companies is the the uh, the thinking about the contra, the contra uh, addictive kind of thing that they're actually not going really deep. They're just like talking about how they optimize their organization, not about how they radical change it. Is that what you mean as well with with Zumpy? Yeah, I mean, most organizations that I go to, the issue that I'm often pointed to is what you said at the beginning, actually, Michael, which is where are all our big ideas? Um, the framer is usually there's not enough innovation going on in this place. I've learned that that's not true in most organizations. If you say, really, so no one's had a new idea or turned it into action in the last seven days, 30 days. Well, no, 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 no. It's not so much that. We've, and it turns out we've got tons of incremental innovation. We're bulging at the seams. 
small ideas are very easy to switch on because they fit nicely into the status quo. What we don't have is the ideas that can dig us deeper moats of competitive advantage in the future, deeper levels of differentiation. And as the research shows, bigger ideas when they land deliver a ton more value than a whole host of incremental ideas. That's the issue. It's our ability to operationalize incremental innovation, continuous improvement is actually okay. It's those bigger order ideas that, you know, today the speed and scope of change is so great. Most organizations would say we need more of that category of ideas to buy our future, you know, buy us some future. It's like the insurance policy for tomorrow. Um, I, I saw a great quote yesterday uh, from Steve Blank, which said, uh, execution pays the salary, innovation pays the pension. And I think that's what he's talking about. And I would say that's higher order, that's more disruptive innovation. Uh, but most organizations are afraid of it because it's there's high levels of failure, there's high levels of uncertainty. And the most organizations, their status quo model is not built to be able to support that level of uncertainty, nor should it, by the way. I think there's a, we'll probably get into this, you need a two-way system. You need incremental happening every day, run the business, make the money, bring the money in. But you also need another track where you're basically placing bets for the future. Why is it that you you think sometimes these, uh, you know, the the big ideas is not executed on. Is that because uh, what you've seen that organization maybe are in, uh, it don't have the foundation in place to actually to do that. They don't have the, the uh, they overwhelm just by running the business. And therefore there's, there's not like really taking any resources out to really take care of that. Or is it a cultural thing or is it a lack of capabilities, you know, human capabilities, technology? What is the typical thing you see? Well, the, the three biggest blockers to innovation that I, I'm, all, I'm always bumping into, at least the ones that people would say are the, are the blockers. One is time. I have no time to do innovation. I'm, I'm already working at 120%. If I'm going to do innovation, it's going to be an evening job. And so who's going to put their hand up to do that? The second is motivation. And that could come down to what's the point? You know, we all know what it's like in this place. You, you propose something that's a little bit different. It either gets watered down or, or locked in a cupboard. And we'll, we'll come back to that later. And of course, we never do. So why would you do that? The other, the other area of motivation often is fear. If this fails... What are the consequences on my career, my team, all sorts of other things? That there's, there's no motivation really to. And the third thing often is there's no process. The number of people that I walk, you know, bump into in, in organizations and I say, so if you had an idea now, where would you take it? They genuinely don't know where they should take the, these, you know, the, the big idea that they've got. If you zoom out from all of that, those are symptomatic of the fact that usually there isn't an innovation strategy in place. There isn't something, um, a metric and th- that's pulling us inevitably into the future, which demands innovation. So my favorite example of this is 3M. Their guiding metric is that 30% of their revenue has to come every year, has to come from products and services that didn't exist four years ago. So if you think that through, it means there is a certain portfolio of innovation that has to be showing up today so that it can deliver um, value in the future. And it can't only be incremental because incremental is only going to give you 5%. It's going to give you 10% max. 30% demands that the organization snaps into shape behind it. And you've got resources, you've got process, you've got capabilities, you've got culture and leadership that is designed to support that two-way system that I was talking about delivering value today whilst designing the value that we need in the future. So the symptoms are easy to find. The real issue, though, is that we don't have an innovation strategy that's connected to a metric that demands more of us from the future. So what does what are the questions that tomorrow needs us to answer today? And what metrics can we put around those so that we're always holding ourselves to account? We don't allow the temptation of quick cash to divert our gaze over to something in the short term at the expense of the longer term. Yeah, and it's a bit like being a, a farmer, I guess, as well. I often see innovation like that. What uh, what you put in your ground and how you treat your your soil 
uh, actually equals what uh, harvest you can done do later, and that's, that's pretty much what you're saying. And, and it's a bit like um, I, I've I, the place I've failed the most in my career was when I worked in McDonald's, um, and there's there's times where it's difficult in McDonald's as well. And but actually, even though it's difficult, the innovation still keeps going on because it's it's part of the. Uh, the business it expect there is as a new either product or ways of operating and if you look about how a mcdonald's have changed since they opened 40 years ago or 42 years ago or 40, i think it's 44 years ago in the uk you'll probably look at a mcdonald's restaurant and think it's a very different experience and it's now it's probably very digital first uh it's digitalization you would say also is that innovation uh, in itself because a lot of people are focusing on this digital first now because of the pandemic is that is that also what you think like a lot of companies uh focusing on uh, becoming digital is that innovation or that's just a channel i would say it's just a channel to serve your products in a different way but i don't know what your approach to that is yeah i, I would say it's a means to an end actually and i think sometimes we can get confused that if we're running lots of digital stuff that we are innovating. At one level we are, we're building infrastructure and, and things that, that are gonna help us in the future. Um, but the real challenge is what do you do with that stuff? So I'm working with an organization at the moment and their innovation strategy basically says, digitalize everything within five years. Well, yeah, that's, that's part of becoming creating the capacity to innovate in different areas it just gives you options that you wouldn't otherwise have it means that you can what you take to market and how you take to market have more options um, available to you and if you don't do it you're going to get stuck because everybody else is so i think digital is huge i think you can't ignore it i think you have to be designing today and tomorrow's organization with digital you know at its heart but there's a bigger question here is to unto what? Because at the end of the day, organizations exist to do to facilitate value exchanges. Customers give us money, value, we give money, we, we give price and services back. That, that's it at the end of the day. Um, we should be looking at what ways can we increase the effectiveness and the efficiency of that value transfer using digital technology rather than you know it's cart before horse sometimes it's here's some tools what can we do with them that that's that's okay a, a safer place a more strategic place to start is what progress are our is are our customers trying to make in our in their everyday lives and with these new types of technology how could that progress be faster cheaper better in different dimensions so i, I think in many contexts it feels strategic, but actually it's quite tactical. If certainly if we look at it through the lens of innovation, and it should always be done with a unto what um, mindset. I think what it, what is what is this actually for? What new value can it create that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do? Yeah, I don't know if you observed the same way. Uh, the pandemic have uh, thrown, you know, and put, you know, uncertainty and challenges for many companies and lots of uh, sad things are happening. But there's also some companies because they actually, you know, they were on a journey pre-pandemic really have actually accelerated their growth. Um, it could be Amazon. It's a, it's a it's a great example. I think Apple is another. You know, Google, Facebook, these kind of companies. But also, you know, when you you read about these companies, there is uh, I don't know if that's true, but I know definitely in Google they invest in that the employees can innovate as well. Down on a very tactical level, you as an individual can go and do your own project. And I think the Gmail was one of the innovation that came out of that, and and many other things. Uh, AdWords, I think as well, was a thing that came out of uh, an employee going away and spending some time that was paid by the company to to do innovation and get up come up with new big ideas the things that i would always recommend as a, as a starting point for for every organization that wants to turn on high levels of innovation is you've got to create time and space so again the zoom out there's two things to look at here day to day most employees are likely to be focusing on incremental innovation how can we improve our jobs but they still need time to do that um, and i would say start small and and calibrate accordingly even if it's half an hour a week 
where your your team is given time just to work on something, learn something, investigate something, start there. I worked with a, a large insurance company once and they started with half an hour a week just to get just to start the system, get used to the habit of how they would spend that time most effectively. And then they grew it accordingly. You know, every team had their own way of doing that. That's the incremental stuff. I would say for um, for bigger order ideas that are outside the current business model, the, the current way of working, you do need dedicated resources. It's been proven time and time again that to make fast enough progress and deep enough progress with new products and services, you need dedicated people. And trying to mash it into the day to day work doesn't really doesn't work because there isn't time. The metrics are different. You're me- you're measuring certainty in today's business. You're measuring learning, speed of learning, um, validating ideas, and there's tons of failure. You, you just need two very different operating systems. They don't sit well together, so separating them is a really smart choice. Now, that's not to say that the day-to-day employees can't have some input into what's going on in these labs, you, you might want to call them, all these different areas. And I think that's a healthy thing because because often you can get these innovation teams that are set up as kind of an ivory tower situation. They feel disconnected from the main business. So finding smart ways to keep the two sides of the business, understanding what one another are doing um, and, and cross-fertilizing ideas is a, is a really good way to do that. But keeping them separate so that they can be resourced appropriately and measured appropriately is, is key. You see that in all of the great innovators. That's the way they do it. So what they do, Elvin, is that they, uh, do they set up projects or is that like innovation has its own team? Do they have like an innovation director? What, what, what does they normally do? Because I guess somebody needs to be accountable, responsible for driving the, the process and the, the, the behavior. What are, what are the typical, you know, if you had like a blanket approach, I, I guess everybody does it differently. But like, what is like the key things they put in place uh, to to really get bold ideas and keep on getting them? Like 3M. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's there's no one perfect way, and and I think that's the beauty of this is that look at where your culture is now. What's going to work with your culture, and start there. So the the two key dynamics to look at are who pays for it and who does it. And if you draw those on an axis, you can come up with four four different types of developing innovation from anything goes, anyone can come up with an idea anywhere, which is really the Google approach. Um, If you have an idea, you have the freedom to pursue it. And if it attracts enough data around it and a business case, then money will be attributed to it. It's a much more laissez-faire approach through to a very structured approach, which is a lab somewhere else funded by the center and um, everything happens there with a dedicated team. And then there's everything in between. Sometimes you have a business unit. Um, every business unit has their own innovation team because it just makes sense to structure it like that. The key thing for me is working back from the future. What are the, what, what are the metrics? What are the needles that you need to move? And looking at your own organization and saying, okay, what would make most sense for us to get to base one with making progress on those needles how and and it actually just choose something I, I always recommend look at I mean if you if you look inside be less zombie there's, there's a whole chapter on this about how to decide what's the, the best way for you but don't fall into the trap of just because Google did it this way that must be the way to work it's really important to look at the different models that are out there and and retrofit almost and say where we are right now which is the most suitable one for us that will give us the best chance to get something moving. And that's often the hardest part is it's like launching a product or launching a a business. Most die after a year. Uh, Businesses, certainly in the UK. Um, It's the longevity piece. It's very easy to shut projects down, kill innovation, switch off budgets. Um, So what will give you the best chance of pushing it further out into the future and learn your way forward? Consider that whole process an experiment. We're going to learn how to do this really well. And for me, that that's the absolute starting point. Great innovators choose to innovate. They don't hope that it's going to happen. They make the choice that we have no other option. We must have innovation to reach the future we're talking about. So we must be strategic. We must be deliberate. Let's learn how to do this really well, because no one's going to, there, there, there really isn't a blueprint for any company because every company is different. 
and you have to do some of the hard work to learn your way forward. And that's really the heart of the book, Be Less Zombie, is how can you learn to do that yourself as quickly and as effectively as possible, learning from others, but owning the journey. Yeah, and I guess also uh, often what I've seen, uh, the, the companies that in general work hard on anything, they become good at it. Uh, some become great at it, but also it's that, you know, like anything, it's a skill. Take down a human lead. If you don't, if you want to get better at running, you need to run, you know, and if you want to be one of the best in the world, you need to definitely start getting 10,000 hours of running behind you before you actually just start to to touch the, the bottom level of the best of the best in the world. So I think it's a really good point that actually it is hard, but anything that's hard is worth doing because the, the value would come out in it. What about um, one of the things I'm often thinking about coming from hospitality? One of the things we were really late at was adapting digitization. And you could see the pandemic had really speeding up the, the digital roadmap, maybe three to five years for some companies. But this has been great, you know, but it's been a bit more like firefighting than innovation, I would call it. We, we need to, or else we can't, you know, touch free. Uh, we need to have uh, online, we need to do delivery. Uh, but when, again, is there some industries that's more innovative or more structured around the innovation than others? Have you seen like specific industry that, that where they're really good? Everybody would probably say, yeah, tech, they are just so innovative. Well, I would say, actually, it's less about industry. It's more about leadership, because in any industry, you can find companies that are doing doing this well. Um, of course, some move faster than others. Tech moves the most quickly and so you need to be investing more in more disruptive technology if you're going to stay ahead um, but then you know you look at mcdonald's they don't do a lot of disruptive innovation they're mostly running the business as you said earlier one percent better every year and that's good business that's not to say that that also can't be disrupted one day or elements of that can't be disrupted But I, I mean, if you look across every industry, you find, you know, in clothing, in manufacturing, in, in retail, in cars, there's always one or two, at least, organizations that are, that are great at innovation. And, and what they've done is they've made a choice. We are going to be the organization that sets the pace. There's always uh, inventing a profitable future for ourselves. And they've chosen to some extent to lead rather than follow. And, and that's a choice. And so is following, you know, a fast follower is uh, is absolutely a valid approach to to working this i'd say you can be potentially more vulnerable in that space because it requires that you continually keep up and often the fast followers are the ones that that struggle the most and are the ones that end up discounting just to just to keep ahead but um i i i guess what i've noticed and this is just just an opinion i i might be wrong on this is it's about leadership because it begins and fails ends with a ceo in my experience is if a ceo is behind innovation it has a much higher chance of working um and then the challenge of course is baking it in sufficiently and demonstrating that it can work so that when the next ceo comes along they don't come and switch it off which uh, which does happen and that that's super interesting because i think uh, in my own journey because i've always been very passionate about what the best of the best do and uh, and i've seen that you know the places where the ceos stick around for longer periods uh, i call them great companies because they actually have time to build the culture they need Uh, innovation is, is part of it but they always they 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 say well our job or the leadership team or the the, the, the head office job is to talk about the future and create the future that, that that's what we need to focus on and then we need to give permission to operate to the front line so they can take care of the day-to-day -day. and then we need to listen out there for innovation examples as well what are their obstacles that we need to remove Uh, and that's like the trends I've seen through, you know, Southwest Airlines is another great example uh, of a very innovation. Uh, other companies like Patagonia, where again, this, you know, the CEO now he's a chairman. Uh, uh, and uh, and I think, again, it comes, I think I agree with you, it comes down to some leadership principle that's very difficult to implement if the if CEO changes often, I guess, as well. Because that that's where the, the the leadership principles often come from in any company. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I think that's the kind of, I mean, you see it in politics as well. You know, we're in for four years, going to make the going to do what we need to do to get in for the next four years. And it's um, 
I, I, I find tenure is such a close connection to the level of innovation that happens inside an organization. I mean, I, I worked for an organization once, a big drinks company, doing really great stuff. But their model was you bring in a, a CEO to run the UK for a while and then they move on to the bigger job. And you always knew there was this rotation coming and you had a two or three year window to get something done. And then it, I wouldn't say reset gets pushed, but innovation was so vulnerable because it depends on who's coming in next. Their nationality would sometimes make a difference on their appetite for innovation. Um, their personality, their experience of you know bad innovation, you know failures that have happened in the past, all sorts of things um, could really have an impact. And so I, I completely agree. I think that the better that you can have either metrics in place that can't be changed around innovation, or leaders who are there for longer, it just gives you more of a chance to get the stuff done that doesn't necessarily happen overnight. This is a long term. It's a long game. There's another thing you say in the book as well. You talk about the way uh, the culture works, or uh, it's very well connected to leadership as well. But they are they 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 take care of the the, the people is quite key to these organization. Uh, and I think you mentioned GifGaf in there as well, how they created their internal community, but also their community with the customers. And I'm a GifGaf uh, customer myself, and the reason why I don't move away is because uh, I feel that I'm part of something different and I am in control. <laughs> uh, that's principle why I don't move. It's not always the best coverage or the best technology, but uh, I trust them. And and I guess you can't trust a company if the people that works in there don't trust each other and the leadership. I don't know if that's also is a very important bit of actually creating an innovative company that actually you, you have those foundations in place. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I would always say to an organization is one of your ambitions should be the best place to work, to where people can do their best work. You're pulling the very best out of them. And part of that is innovation. If you only really treat them as a, a unit of productivity, that's how people are going to feel. And that's going to really affect the level of motivation they've got to bring you ideas to the table. But more importantly, to stick with ideas that look as if they could fail. And if you, again, if you look in, this isn't always the case, but very often when I go inside organizations that have a strong reputation for innovation, the people are on fire. They feel like they're on a mission. They feel valued. They feel cared about. Um, and again, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the perfect place because it's human beings trying to get stuff done and, you know, sometimes gets messy. But on the whole, the values are in place and they're rewarded. And people are given space, resources, capabilities to do great work. And it's those environments where people want to go and work, I think, more and more. And that, that's the underlying motivation that people want challenging work where I can be given the opportunity to do the best that I can possibly do work with people who are you know who get it and are on it is the way I just describe it in the book so I, I think there's as well as and this is why I think it's really important not just to focus innovation on what we do but how we do it and part of the how is designing a deliberate culture where people just love showing up they love bringing their best and doing their best because they're going to stick around more they're going to give you the best that they can do and they're going to team and collaborate collaborate really well so rather than it being an afterthought i think innovation should have an inward and an outward focus how do we make our customers the best customers in the world loyalty profitability but how do we make our people the best people for us in the world because they're motivated to create the value that those customers actually want so it it, it is this um connected definitely a connected ecosystem there of the level of i mean again there's loads of research showing customer motivation and sorry employee motivation and um customer loyalty are absolutely connected so there's there's lots of lots of reasons to think about this as a really strategic issue yeah and i uh, uh one of the things that we all know that gallup says that you know a majority i think it's over 70 percent of people are disengaged in their work and they come to work very low energy they don't show up as the best them you're not getting the best out of them therefore they may be doing a job but they're not really doing more than just to scrape by to survive the next year 
performance cycle. Uh, and uh, and I think it's so interesting. Often that's actually where a lot of things start, you know, because it starts with the, the energy of an organization. As you say, you can feel when you come into these organizations, these people are on fire, they're on a mission. They, they are bought into the purpose of that organization and they are giving them their best. You know, they're almost like small mini entrepreneurs within that. Um, and, 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 it is, and it starts with, you know, making them feel that they're part and give them permission to operate. I think there's a lot of companies where you don't have permission to operate, where decisions are still narrowed up in the top. And therefore, you just wait to be thrown the next order. Uh, and that doesn't mean that's the right thing to do for the customers or for any kind of process within the organization. You've been, uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, you have your own startups. You, you know, you are lecturing in this at MBA programs. You've been studying innovation, but I guess also, you know, what you learn from is failures in innovation, and you need to accept that. Edison, I can't remember, it was more than a thousand eighty-two times he he broke the light bulb before he made it work. And I guess you also need to allow that. But what what is one of your failures you learned about innovation when you've been running teams, uh, organizations? And, and I guess that was one of those things that sparked you on the journey as well. Um, two come to mind. The first is the startup you mentioned, which actually failed. And that's going back quite a long way now. But uh, the, the, the thing I learned there was just because somebody says they want something doesn't mean they'll then buy it, <laughs> you know, which is so obvious, but, but so many companies fall into it. And I had... Um, I won't go into the detail of what the idea was, but I had 300 customers basically say, if you build that, I will buy it. Well, I built it and one person showed up to buy it. And I think that was out of sympathy. <laughs> so there was something in there around you know, how do you really validate value propositions before you build anything? There's there's something in that. How do you how do you learn before you build? And again, for me now, you look at the the thinking from lean startup and experimentation that's starting to emerge. For me, that's the most powerful stuff in corporate innovation right now because it massively lowers the stakes, it lowers the risks of stepping forward with a new idea. Because if you're only going to spend a very small amount of money learning whether we should do something, instead of a lot of money building something only to find out the same answer, oh, we shouldn't have done that after all, then it's a much safer journey. So that will be the first thing. I think the second thing, uh, and again, this is in my consulting um, career, I had an early, well, when I, when I set up on my own about five years ago, I got a, a piece of work working with one of the national newspapers in the UK. And I was quite excited about it because I love media. It's one of the industries that I'm most interested in. And I was working with the board and um, I had two days with them to help them move to the next level of innovation. Not that that happens in two days, but actually to start the process. <clears throat> and the two days went really well. Everyone was switched on, engaged and bought into it. And um, we got to the end of the session and everyone was saying goodbye. And the CEO said, can you just hang around for a minute? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, so everybody left and he turned to me and he said, can you just tell me what we need to do? Can you just give me the 10 things that we need to do next? And then and then we're, you know, we'll, we'll be fine, won't we? And I, I groaned inwardly because I thought, well, yeah, I, I can get, definitely give you some frameworks that, that you want to do, that, that, that you would need to do to make progress. But I knew from the way he was talking that he didn't really have the appetite to move forward um, and do this and go on the journey of learning how to do this as an organization. He just wanted a blueprint to push a green button and, and it would happen. And it just showed me very early on that rather than just talking about tools and techniques and things and making it sound super simple, you have to be real with leaders when you're talking to them that this is actually quite, this is going to demand some different ways of working. At one level, you have no choice because the future is coming faster and more unpredictably than ever. But helping them define reality and count the cost and then show how it can be possible rather than, hey, you can do lean startup and use this business model canvas. And to make it, I almost made it feel unrealistically easy. And so nowadays I'm, I'm much more upfront about this is the kind of journey you're going to need to expect. There's going to be a personal cost to this. You're going to have to stretch and learn and let go and start to manage ambiguity in different ways. And if they're not up for it, then that's fine. I'm happy to walk away. But if the motivation isn't there, then you you can spend a lot of time in many meetings trying to move things forward and it doesn't really doesn't really ever go anywhere that you'd want. 
Well, that was two very good uh, examples of, you know, failure you can learn for and, uh, you know, validating that somebody wants to buy something. Um, yeah, been there a couple of times myself um, where you, you think you found something. This is this is what they asked for in the meetings. This is what they said. And then you come and present it. Oh, well, uh, it's not really what we need right now, but it, it sounds interesting. And you feel like you already built that program or solution and yeah so i've learned the hardware as well and, and i found start lean startup i think back in 2012 or something where we worked on a, a startup which we actually found out very quickly it's not going to work it's too early and actually we decided not to go forward with it and it's you know we spent maybe three months instead of three years on that if you just take your own life sometimes how you can test things um, and I, I try to apply that to everything i do so rather move slower but then test small things all the time because you don't have the answer what they need sometimes. So you need really, as you say, they need to be ready to take the wallet up of the pocket when it comes to that. So really, really great, great sharing that, uh, Elvin. So on this journey uh, of becoming, you know, the, the Zen master in innovation, which people are inspiring you? Where are you getting your inspiration from? You're giving a lot out to people. Where are you getting your stuff from? Who are you looking at when you are thinking about this is like my source of inspiration there's a lot of examples in the book by the way uh for people out there well i guess there's there's two categories for me there's companies and i I like i like looking at companies like spotify who are challenging the way that an industry works at an industry level um but i also like i'm not sure if they're in the book actually Basecamp, who do project management software and they just are always rethinking how work gets done in a, in a 21st century context. So I, I love looking at what those guys are doing. But, but I also, again, I just think you can't underestimate the importance of companies that have been there and done it and they keep showing up, like 3M, who have got a great system, a great process, tough metrics, they, they push themselves and they keep showing up. I think there's lots of different organizations like that. I guess from an individual's point of view, um, I, uh, I, I'm inspired by Jesus. I, I don't know whether this isn't going to be a, a religious rant, by the way, but there's a, I don't know if you've seen, there's a TV program that came out last year called The Chosen. And uh, it's about the life of Jesus, but it's done in a very interesting sort of contemporary way. And the tagline for the show is get used to different. And you think about the way that Jesus just turned everything upside down, challenged thinking, made people think, what? What are you talking about? Uh, I just love the way that he flips reality and, and turns things around. So from a historical perspective, I guess that. Um, and I, for me, actually, a guy who really, really helped me in my early days is uh, a former boss, a guy called John Gomes, who wrote a book um, called Be Excellent at Anything with Tony Schwartz. And he, he was my boss for 20 years. And I ran the innovation team un, under his uh, sort of um, leadership. And he was someone who would always still continues to give you freedom to go and try new things. You go to him with an idea and it was very rare. He'd say, no, nah, don't, don't do that. He'd always say, give it a go, see what you learn, come back and tell me. And that was very liberating from early on. And I think it's something that's one of the reasons why his company, I think has done so well. Um, so yeah, real, real mix actually for me, I'm always looking for different sources of inspiration. Super interesting. You said about, you said different. And uh, because I often believe in organization, we are focusing on becoming better, you know, the optimizing of the incremental, as you said. For, but actually, if you really want to, you know, stand out as a company and you need to be different, you know, Apple is an example of think differently, is their attack line. Um, and that was why they suddenly won the market as they did um and i guess that when you have that extreme focusing on that you don't want to fit in you don't want to be vanilla as an organization as an individual you're always trying to learn and grow and innovate um uh, and i guess that's also you you meet these people you can just see straight away they, they're gonna they're gonna change something they maybe not gonna get there next year or tomorrow but they are on a journey they're gonna change that and that's like you know that could be you know big historical like jesus the people but also there's like people you know that just want to feed homeless people i met one the other day and i thought this guy he's absolutely amazing he just continues no matter what comes again he finds ways he innovates in a way and he grows and learns uh with this and then locally he's just feeding these people no matter what but he's also different he's, some people really support and like him but other people really think he is doing not doing the right thing because also he 
he shouts out sometimes when things are not right. And we don't like that. So therefore he's different. But he creates a lot of innovation about how you feed homeless people during the pandemic. It's very interesting. I thought that was quite inspiring as well. If you should give some advice to uh, leaders out there, in the end of the, the podcast, we always touch on some some top three advice to, to leaders out there. And we already talked a lot of things. We And you talked about tools as well that can be used. But like, if you should... If I was sitting now listening as the CEO or a leader of a team or just a small business owner uh, of my business, what, what, what should the top three advice be? In the current situation we're in, we all know that it's not status quo. It's not business as usual. The whole world has changed. People are changing. Consumers are changing. What are the three things I should do to ensure there is a tomorrow for my business as well? Because there's a lot of people that's concerned about that. What can I do from if with the innovation hat on? Well, okay, three things. I'd say the first one for me is always choose from the future. So visit the future. Who do you need to become? How do you need to show up? And what's going to need to be true to do that? And that can be a number that you need to hit. It can be impact. It can be scale, all sorts of different things. But who do you need to become? And based on your current strategy and trajectory, are you going to get there? Usually the answer is no. Um, and the gap that's, that's there is your innovation strategy gap. That's, that's the pipe that you need to fill. So the first thing would be have a really hard look at the future and answer that question. Who do we need to become? What would need to be true for us to deliver that? The second one I would say is once you understand what that future looks like, pick a metric that's going to hold you to account. Pick a metric that's going to make that future more inevitable, more likely to show up, which is going to demand, just like with 3M, that a certain level of innovation is showing up both incrementally and more disruptively for the future. Get that portfolio balance right. What do you need? And then choose a metric that's going to pull it forward into the future. And then the third thing, um, that, so that, that's making it inevitable. Making it happen needs a strategy. So for that future to show up, for that metric to be true, what processes will we need? What resources will we need? What capabilities will we need? What culture will we need? And what resort, what leadership will we need? All of those things you can figure out. Some of it you won't know the whole answer to. You can learn a lot from other organizations. But the key choice here is we have to go there. We don't know all of the answers around what or how, but we are smart people. We can figure that stuff out if we're open to learn and to let go of things that we've held on to for a long time. And you begin the learning journey. And that strategic approach gives innovation such a better chance of showing up on an ongoing basis rather than a campaign point of view. You know, we're going to do a bit over here, we're going to do a bit over there, and it, and it comes and it goes. This has to be always on and is absolutely achievable. Some really super advice. Uh, and I get, I can hear again, we're coming back also to the, the mindset. It's so important uh, where we start. Like it starts with everything. It, it's how you show up and the, the mindset. Uh, so that that's some super advice in there. I just got a, a somebody direct messaged me a question, Elvin, because I asked on LinkedIn if anyone wants to ask you a question. And there's a a friend of mine that is in marketing, and he asked me uh, this question. He mentioned Michael Porter's uh, five P's: uh, price, promotion, place, product, and what is the last people? Things the last one. And he asked, "Is if you change work with them, is that also innovation when you change that? Because often when companies has an issue, I think where the question is going is that they have an offer issue. They, the product is not fit for market anymore. They start to work with those. Uh, is, would you see that as innovation as well? Or is that more tactical? Uh, I think that's the question he want, he's asking. Yeah, I, th I think you can definitely use that. I mean, that is a legitimate framework to look at innovation through. And you can choose whether it's tactical or strategic and disruptive by the question you ask. So you might say around price, okay, how can we guarantee a 5% increase in price every year for the next 10 years, whatever you want to be? That's probably achievable based on inflation and a little bit more you know, as you go. However, you could ask, Questions like, how could we give this away for three for free and yet increase revenues by 100%? Uh, well, that doesn't seem possible. Yeah, but isn't it a tantalizing question? Or how could we charge 10 times the amount for this for a very different customer? So absolutely, they're, they're interesting lenses. 
the magic comes when you design questions that allow you to break into new markets as a result of that or to deliver much higher levels of value um, which you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do with the current operating system so i would absolutely say yes that's the that's a, a valid and legitimate framework to use but it's all about the questions that then you put around it which are linked to the picture of the future that you're trying to pursue Good. Thank you very much, Elvin, for that. Uh, I hope he, uh, I think that was a really good answer. Uh, and I think it was a really good question as well. Um, end off with. So with that said, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show and actually sharing your learnings around innovation. Uh, and if people have uh, questions to you or want to look more, I know you have a, a brilliant website where there's some free resources as well, like uh, videos and tools. Uh, been in there myself and starting asking myself some questions as well with the things I'm involved in uh, and can see that we need to, 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 to go and work a bit on the innovation muscle. Um, and uh, what, what is the best place? The website, LinkedIn, uh, where can people find you? Both of those LinkedIn's good. Um, ElvinTurner.com or BeLessZombie.com. They both, you'll end up with me somewhere. So yeah, one of those two will be fine. Good. And I will uh, share the uh, the uh, the links in the, the show notes as always, both to the book, to your website and everything. Uh, if people were going to go and, and find you. Thank you so much, Elvin, for coming on. I'm sending you power and energy to uh, to the, the the next book, the next venture. There, uh, I haven't written a book myself, but everybody I've talked with have written a book. It's quite a demanding process, but also quite rewarding because you really come underneath uh, the skin of things. So, uh, thank you so much. No, you're welcome. It's been a delight. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much, Elvin. So much great advice in here on practical ways of putting into innovation at the core of an organization. And if you want more inspiration to boost innovation in your organization, please tune in to our bonus episode, Digital Transformation with Nick Popovici, who is the co-founder and CEO at VitaMojo. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, or review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and be maverick.